Even though I begin my sixth year as your chancellor, I occasionally wander around campus in disbelief that I'm charged with the responsibility for this entire institution. Disbelief usually fades to wonder as I review the progress we've made in so many areas. Then embarrassment as I think of how much credit is accorded a chancellor for the efforts of others. Except for the chicken dinners, you've made this a perfect job. <laughs> of course, I'm not unmindful of one of my mentors equating an academic administrator to a keeper of thoroughbred horses. Every morning you pass through the stalls with feed and every evening you clean up the mess. <laughs> or equating of the chancellor to a caretaker in a cemetery. You are above everyone else, but no one is listening. My most persistent feeling, however, is one of pride. This university has reached a new level of achievement, one that places us squarely among the top public research universities. We are attracting more and better students, and they in turn are experiencing greater success. Our average ACT scores continues to set records, and most importantly, over the last 10 years, the rate of improvement in our graduation rate has surpassed all of our peers. For the first time in history, our funded research exceeded $100 million, generating new discoveries, increased potential for economic development, and more jobs for Nebraska. While our extension responsibilities are not easily quantifiable, you cannot travel anywhere in Nebraska without seeing firsthand the impact this university has on the lives of this state's citizens. Preparing this annual State of the University address is a growing challenge. In the past, I have reviewed the previous year's successes and tried to suggest an agenda for the coming year. I can no longer do justice to your accomplishments, and even the special edition of the Scarlet becomes illustrative rather than complete. Proposing a future agenda is equally challenging. Our progress is exceeded only by our potential. For me, the most important and comprehensive of our core values is excellence pursued without compromise. In each of our missions, teaching, research, and engagement, we have excelled, yet we can do better. We are a relatively small university, so we must always look for ways to work harder and smarter and to be certain we have maximized all of the talent in our community. We should all sympathize with Bill Callahan. Just as three late-season wins by the football team have some fans expecting a national championship, your considerable academic achievements have created enhanced expectations as well. We do not have the luxury to relax on our laurels, to forgo the contributions of any member or any department of the university, or to take our future accomplishments for granted. Today I want to do three things. First, to articulate again our general priorities and strategies we've adopted to achieve them. Second, to mention a few of the high points of last year, guaranteeing as I do so, to make a few close friends and to spread disappointment elsewhere. I promise I cherish each and every one of your accomplishments. And third, to propose selected areas that should capture our attention during this academic year. I will do so mindful of the comment attributed to a French playwright. When I speak, I accept that people will look at their watches, but what I want to avoid is when they look at it and shake it to find out if it has stopped. For six years, through good budgets and bad, we have consistently followed two overarching principles designed to address the comparative advantages of the university and the critical needs of the state of Nebraska. 
One of Nebraska's primary challenges is to retain its young people and to attract young people from other states. A competitive undergraduate program at this state's only comprehensive research university is a critical priority both for us and the state of Nebraska. The economy of Nebraska, like the economy of the world, is quickly becoming idea-based, whether in manufacturing, the service sector, or in agriculture. A strong university research enterprise has driven economic growth across the country, and it is essential Nebraskans have access to such an enterprise in order to be competitive. We have, act acted we have worked hard to build our research activities and consistent with our land-grant heritage to extend the benefits of that research to the people of Nebraska. In pursuit of these two priorities, enhancing undergraduate education and research, we have employed a number of strategies with good success. First, we have focused on a mix of programs for the undergraduate education, those that will attract highly talented students to the university, and those that maximize every student's potential for success. The university's honors program and the J.D. Edwards honors program compete favorably against any university in attracting highly credentialed students. The Pepsi UCARE program, the many programs of the Office of Undergraduate Studies and the Office of Student Involvement, and the potential from the many ideas funded by the University of Nebraska Foundation through the Initiative for Teaching and Learning Excellence grants speak to our commitment to engage the special talents of every student regardless of their entering credentials or their future aspirations. Our second strategy has been to allocate resources through the programs of excellence to build spires of excellence, focus programs that compete with the best in the country and enhance the reputation of the entire university. We have major federally funded centers of excellence in virology, redox biology, nanomaterials, and most recently transportation. We have the exciting potential of the Diocles laser the expanding reputation of our digital research in the humanities program, and the emergence of the Durham School of Architectural Engineering and Construction on both the Lincoln and Omaha campuses. These and many others have achieved national recognition. Third, we have supported programs that serve the particular economic needs of Nebraska and contribute to its quality of life. Through a broad array of field research conducted across the state, we have contributed to the welfare of contemporary agriculture, while continuing to harness the potential of biotechnology to preserve its future. Our professional schools train the state's future leaders, and our humanities and fine arts units contribute significantly to the state's quality of life. Fourth, we must invest, where we have a comparative advantage, in programs that contribute to solving the challenges that face Nebraska, the nation, and the world. The Water Initiative, the new Nebraska Center for Energy Science Research, the Transportation Center, and the Center for Children, Youth, Families, and Schools, name just a few. Even with our disciplined and focused approach, this creates for us a full menu of objectives, a menu more extensive and complex than any other educational institution in Nebraska because of the scope of our responsibilities and the range of our opportunities to serve the state's interest. Let me turn to a heavily edited list of high points from last year. We were fortunate to convince Juan Franco of Utah State to succeed Jim Greeson as Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs. Juan has quickly become engaged with the campus and his impact is already being felt. If Juan will stand, I hope you will join me in welcoming him to the university.
There were those of you who didn't think we could top Tommy Lee. But we did. We did when we hosted Warren Buffett and Bill Gates on campus interacting with our students. And we initiate this year's Thompson Forum tomorrow with John Bolton, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. UNL is increasingly playing on the world stage. Last year, our freshman class returned to its normal size after a precipitous downturn. Dean Allen Servany has built a passionate and professional recruiting staff, and I have witnessed a renewed commitment on the part of faculty and staff. It's paid off. This year's freshman enrollment is up a stunning 8.1%, or 289 additional students, and overall enrollment is up 2%, or 431 additional students. Even with these increases, our average ATCT score remained at the highest point in history. When we opened this fall semester, domestic students of color comprised almost 9% of our undergraduate student body. This year's entering class is 10.6% domestic minorities, an increase of almost 18%. Reports I have received from parents and others confirm that we have changed the previous perception that we were indifferent to students to one that more accurately reflects the welcoming institution and people that we are. I am deeply grateful to all of you for your efforts in this regard. When Vice Chancellor Paul joined the university, he promised me that funded research would exceed $100 million in five years. He was right. In addition, total grant funding for all the missions of the university exceeded $165 million. This is a remarkable achievement by our faculty and staff across the breadth of disciplines. However, I know Prem well enough to know he will soon be setting even more ambitious goals that will require the best efforts of all of us. This year, we entered a very unique partnership with the Nebraska Public Power District to create the Nebraska Center for Energy Science Research to, con to conduct research at the university on alternative energy sources, a field in which Nebraska has a strong competitive advantage. The center, in turn, is part of a statewide initiative involving UNO, OPPD, LES, our federal congressional delegation, and state government. We should be, and we are, well positioned to make important contributions, and I'm pleased with the interest shown by our faculty and by the leadership of Ken Kassman as the director of the new center. We entered into a unique and historic agreement with Iowa State University to collaborate on providing a veterinary medicine degree program to Nebraska residents. Students take their first two years in Nebraska and their second two years at Iowa State. Collaborations between institutions in our region will become increasingly important for us in the future. The adoption of LB 605 by the legislature and the governor will permit the construction of a new physics building, the repair of Sheldon Gallery, and the renovation of Animal Science in Kime Hall. These are all critical facilities to us. In addition, pri private donations will add the Ken Morrison Life Science Research Facility for Virology on the East Campus, a new home for the International Quilt Study Center, an expanded theater facility for the Johnny Carson School of Theater Arts, and a world-class research feedlot at our Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff. We should also be proud of our campus response to the disaster following Hurricane Katrina. We opened our doors to students and faculty from impacted institutions, and our students, faculty, and staff volunteered in a variety of ways to help with the cleanup and reconstruction of that area. My biggest disappointment last year occurred this summer when it was discovered that the costs associated with an on-campus daycare facility exceeded our earlier estimates and available resources. I assure you that we've not given up on such a facility and we continue to explore additional options. 
The funding originally identified for that project will remain committed to its eventual construction, and I believe we have some plausible options to consider. From all respects, it was a relatively quiet, but nonetheless remarkable year. Each and every one of you should be proud of what you've helped accomplish, whether you are one of the visible players receiving accolades, or whether you have provided support and encouragement to them, or whether you have otherwise quietly contributed to this great university. Now looking forward, let me address ongoing initiatives of continuing importance. Last year, we began the process for the renewal of our academic accreditation with the development of a self-study. This involved over 100 faculty and staff on eight task force and a steering committee of university leadership. The gang of six, led by Dean Jim O'Hanlon and consisting of Barbara Couture, Susan Fritz, David Wilson, Laurie Anderson, and Kim Achia, did most of the writing and editing. It's on the web, and I would encourage you to take a look. It was written not as a defense of where we are, but rather to provide a better understanding of what we need to do in pursuit of our core values. It documents the interrelationship of our efforts in teaching, research, and engagement, the importance of matching our programs with our resources, and the significant progress we have made. The review team will be here on campus November 6th through the 8th. We'll schedule upwards of 150 meetings with various individuals and may actually spontaneously stop you on the street to talk to you. Our strategic planning efforts continue to evolve. This process will be the focus of the accreditation. Because we are not following traditional formula for planning exercises, we are all learning as we proceed with the hope that we will find a planning process that fits this campus and supports our progress. We continue to work toward a process that reflects the realism, discipline, and accountability that are important to our success. For the first time in my memory at this institution, we are having systematic conversations between the deans and the campus administration on the future direction of the campus. We are having meaningful discussions of priorities, of opportunities, and of strategies to move forward. So I have changed my stripes. This old anti-planner is now fully committed to the sensible strategic planning process that is emerging. Continuing efforts to enhance the experience and success of our undergraduate students advances our core values and is central to our reputation as a university. There is no more important issue relating to the quality of our undergraduate program than the revision of our general education curriculum. Last year, we embarked on an ambitious effort to implement a new general education program for the class that enters the university in the fall of 2007. Under the leadership of Senior Vice Chancellor Barbara Couture and Professor John Janovey, a number of faculty members have been working to engage a broad segment of our community in this initiative. Their effort has produced a clear and concise statement of the aspirations we all must have for the common experience of our undergraduates. This is far this is a far advance from the definition attributed to a famous actress who is reported to have said, I read Shakespeare and the Bible and I shoot dice. That's what I call a liberal education. I know we can do better than that. The General Education Advisory Committee will present two proposals to the campus community this fall, an articulation of the common objectives for the learning outcomes of undergraduate education, and the structural criteria for achieving those common objectives for all students. I would encourage every faculty member to become engaged in this process so that we can meet our target of a new program for students entering next fall. This is an opportunity to provide a Nebraska solution 
to an issue that is engaging university faculties and the public at large across the country. Higher education is in the spotlight, and we are increasingly being asked to show the added value of our programs. The Spelling Commission at the national level is one high-profile example, but our own Board of Regents is also asking important questions about how we change students for the better. A coherent articulation of our expectations and efforts to assess our effectiveness are imperatives if we are to meet these challenges. I believe this university is smart enough and engaged enough to fashion a response that is thoughtful, realistic, and enhances our students' success. Our new program should be practical so that it facilitates transfer of students into UNL from other institutions as well as between our own colleges. Its objectives should be clear so that both students and faculty can share a dialogue about its importance. It should also be based on learning outcomes and achievement-centered education expected of each and every undergraduate student. Such a program will provide the unifying element that guarantees the lifelong value of the undergraduate experience we provide. Notwithstanding our recent success, enrollment continues to be critical to our future. I recognize that in some areas, physical and faculty resources are beginning to limit our capacity for growth, and conversations have begun with deans to ask what our overall enrollment target should be. We also need to be creative in expanding enrollment by pursuing the potential of distance education and of non-traditional students who present differential demands on our resources. In the longer term, we must address Nebraska's college going rate, a rate that is decreasing as the state's experiences an influx of populations whose families do not have a history or tradition of college attendance. The recently announced University of Nebraska-Lincoln Preparatory Academy, a partnership with Grand Island High School, is one step in that effort. The high school was selected 40 students from low-income, first-generation families who have high academic potential and provides them with intense mentoring towards college preparation. We have agreed to assure those students that if they're successful, they will have the financial resources necessary to graduate from this university. In considering enrollment, I don't want to overlook graduate education, which is also critical to our role as a research university. We are moving towards a society where a graduate degree is the expected level of education for many of our best jobs. The quality of our graduate programs and our graduate students is also intensely tied to our research. We must continue to find creative ways to become more competitive for top graduate students, particularly in our high-priority pro programs. We also need to continue to build on the good work of Rita Keene and the Office of Undergraduate Studies, which has produced consistently improving retention and graduation rates. Our retention, our retention rates have increased by 1% per year, and over the last 10 years, the rate of increase in our graduation rates has far exceeded our peers. Yet many in the broader society do not understand why four-, five-, and six-year graduation rates appear to be so low. Institutional research has generated some very interesting numbers that show that students who take at least 12 credit hours every semester have very high rates of graduation, but that 40% of our students, 40% of our students, at some point in their career, either stop out of the university for a short time or transition to part-time status. We need to figure out better information on why these students are delaying their graduation to determine if we can influence those decisions. Finances must surely play some role, but I believe that it's not only the financial resources available to students, but also the financial decisions they make that determines their success. 
We should explore if providing better financial planning advice might not contribute to their success. In 2000, as interim chancellor, I was presented with the Life Science Task Force Report, documenting the advantages and efficiencies we could achieve by greater coordination and collaboration among life science-related disciplines. There was much good in that report, but unfortunately it also suggested a radical reorganization of the university and the elimination of the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Such a recommendation was neither a politically attainable nor, in my opinion, a desirable or wise thing to do. Further, that recommendation bred sufficient mistrust and suspicion that it became difficult to explore other important suggestions. Given our location and our competitive advantages, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln must be at the cutting edge of life science research and education. Traditional divisions of disciplines, as well as the separations of fields of study relating to production agriculture, are experiencing sufficient, significant convergence because of the techniques related to microbiology and genetics and the increasing relevance of chemistry, physics, and engineering. I continue to believe that without disrupting the organization of the university, we can harness the potential of greater coordination. Thus, I propose that we make a concerted effort to further build excellence by working toward a unified strategic plan for the life sciences. This is important for the success of all three of our missions. Whether it is in microbiology, genetics, alternative energy, agriculture production, or water resources, we need to continue to forge alliances that further build on our existing strengths, and more importantly, to identify in a systematic way the gaps in faculty expertise we need to fill. I have asked Senior Vice Chancellor Couture and Vice Chancellor Owens to work with the appropriate deans, departmental leaders, and faculty to jumpstart this effort. It will be important to align strategic planning in our separate departments with this important initiative. I am very pleased to announce that to assist in this effort, Dr. Brian Larkins, the Porterfield Professor of Plant Sciences in the Department of Plant Sciences at the University of Arizona, will be joining our faculty next April. Brian is a nationally known plant scientist, a member of the National Academy of Sciences, and an alumnus of this university. His appointment at UNL will be as Distinguished University Professor of Life Sciences and Associate Vice Chancellor for Research. He will hold faculty positions in the School of Biological Sciences and the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture, and his portfolio will include advising the relevant units on a unified strategic plan, enhancing life science research, and mentoring and advising younger life science faculty. This appointment creates a unique opportunity to engage a person with outstanding credentials who also understands the traditions of this university. Most significant of all among his many achievements is that, like me, he is a graduate of York High School. <laughs> so this is the beginning of the York High Mafia at the University of Nebraska. <laughs> Slowly but surely, this campus is beginning to look more like the people we serve. We have exceeded the average of our peers in the percentage of women faculty. Our recent recruitment efforts have demonstrated that this campus can be an attractive places, place for undergraduate students of color. These successes should give us confidence and renewed energy to focus on our continuing shortcomings, recruitment and retention of faculty of color in all disciplines, increasing the number of women and faculty of color in those disciplines in which they are underrepresented, addressing the particular difficulty of attracting 
graduate students of color to many of the science and engineering-based disciplines. The most important ingredient for success in achieving diversity is the commitment of decision-makers to make it happen. Consistent with our efforts in strategic planning, a new proposed diversity plan for the campus has been crafted, and it will be available for your comments with the hope we can arrive at a common set of objectives and priorities. I have become convinced that a new multicultural center would be an important step in securing and expanding the progress we have made in our diversity efforts. It has both programmatic and symbolic importance. Our student body has expressed its support for the project with a lopsided vote in favor of increasing student fees and support one half of the $8.7 million cost if we could raise the other half by donations. I am pleased to announce that the Grants Committee of the University of Nebraska Foundation has pledged from its discretionary funds $1 million over the next four years towards this project. In addition, we have received another generous gift and have hopes of yet a third donor to this project. With these gifts and prospects, I am sufficiently confident of the future that we intend to seek approval from the Board of Regents to begin the initial steps to make this project a reality. With board approval and the additional success in fundraising, we hope to open the new Multicultural Center as an addition to the City Campus Student Union in the fall of 2008. This university has a remarkable history and tradition of engagement around the world. The question before us is not whether we should sustain or increase that engagement, but rather how we might do so to maximize the advantages to the university. I've had the opportunity recently to travel to Africa and to China to view firsthand some active collaborative relationships between UNL and universities in those regions. I came away impressed with what has been accomplished, but convinced that one strategy to expand our influence would be to consciously try to build upon and broaden our existing relationships. I am hopeful that without in any way infringing on individual interests and the efforts of faculty anywhere in the world, that we can develop a more focused institutional program of international involvement. In 2004, we announced the university was the beneficiary of the estate of Harold Leading, a law graduate and a person who passionately believed in the value of study abroad. With the concurrence of his survivors, this fund of more than $4 million will be used to provide scholarships for students to study abroad in honor of Harold's son, Christian. It has been reported to me that a recent conference, one university announced it was spending more money on its website than on print publications. For prospective students particularly, and for many others, the web is fast becoming the most significant source of information and is the most important way in which we can communicate to the world as an institution. We have, with your cooperation, achieved a professional approach to our printed publications, and we must now turn our attention to the web. On August 14th, we implemented the new templates for websites associated with UNL EDU domain. This has been a collaborative effort by Meg Lauerman and Bob Chrysler of University Communications and involves 160 web designers from units across the campus. The result is a clean design with clear navigational elements that will allow users to more easily obtain information from the university. Like our approach to printed publication, templates have been generated that permit each unit to reflect the same theme and navigational structure while appropriately showcasing each unit's content. Website design can no longer be an afterthought, and website construction now requires the technological skills necessary to assure that our sites are accessible to diverse populations, work with a variety of different browsers, and are compatible with international standards. Our goal 
is to be in a position to require by August 2007 that any unit page that is part of the UNL EDU domain will be in, in compliance with university-wide guidelines. John Updike observed, dreams come true. Without that possibility, nature would not incite us to have them. So let me dream a moment. On the north of our campus, the big X intersection is taking shape, and one can see the movement of earth that forms the Antelope Creek. There are bridges constructed now over solid earth, but you can start to see the path of the creek and the new roadway as it moves south through the campus. You can stand at the Beetle Center and see the long, vacant, but majestic structure of Whittier School and the old but expansive buildings of the former Textron manufacturing plant. The university's research accomplishments contribute to the economic development of Nebraska. The potential of new university discoveries to improve the human condition is unlimited. To fully exploit these opportunities, we will need to marry the creative output of our faculty with the entrepreneurial efforts of the private sector. This is not an easy process. With John Brash, an unusual, an unusual man with both business and academic backgrounds as head of our technology development office, our activities are expanding and we can see the potential of these efforts. My dream is to turn Antelope Valley Corridor into an energized hotbed of innovative and commercial activity. I can envision a Nebraska Innovation Center, an area where inventive faculty from all disciplines can engage each other and where appropriate the private sector to create value. I see a building or set of buildings assigned to no particular discipline, but available to teams of faculty working together toward the solution of research problems. In addition, space available for private sector companies or new startups to interact with faculty or to acquire the support necessary to establish themselves in the commercial sector. I see a place where graduate and undergraduate students engaged in research with faculty, but also experience the process through which inventions are evaluated and developed for commercial markets. It will be 2012, at best estimate, before the Textron property will be available for construction. But Whittier stands above the floodplain a solid building with a distinguished history that deserves a better fate than its current abandonment. My short-term dream is that we find a way to make Whittier the foundation for the Nebraska Innovation Center, that we find a way to return that building to productive use, that we use it as an illustration of what is possible at a major research university committed not only to the advancement of truth but also to the economic prosperity of its community. I am mindful that someone defined a goal as a dream with deadlines, for now, this project will remain a dream, but I am hopeful that in the near term we can find the resources necessary to start the Nebraska Innovation Center as the capstone for the university's research and engagement enterprises. Finally, I continue to sample the literature regarding the management of complex institutions like ours, and I came across the rule of two, that no institution can focus on more than, one, on more than two priority goals at the same time. So I propose that when we look back on this year, we should not regard it successful unless we have accomplished the following. A substantial consensus on an achievement-centered education program that provides a common denominator for undergraduate education at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Expanded enrollment, particularly in areas with excess capacity. Sustained and improved momentum in research. And substantial progress towards a strategic plan in the life sciences. Now you're asking what became of the rule of two. 
Well, all I can say is that there are only three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. Thank you. Now, it's been my custom at the end of these addresses to be available for questions, but for the last several years, none have been forthcoming. I suspect that's either because you do not have time to formulate a question or you do not have time to regain consciousness. <laughs> to give you the opportunity to do, to do both before I respond to questions, I thought you would enjoy experiencing firsthand an illustration of our talented music faculty and the accomplishments of the university. Paul Barnes has generously agreed to play a short segment from the Philip Glass Lewis and Clark Piano Concerto, a work commissioned by Nebraska and originally performed by Paul on this stage with the Omaha Symphony Orchestra. The CD of that recording has recently become available to the public worldwide, and Paul will do an outdoor performance on September 9th uh, with the Omaha Symphony at the Lewis and Clark Landing in Omaha, Nebraska, and April 23rd at 8 o'clock, the world premiere performance of the solo piano transcription uh, at Symphony Space in New York City. Please join me in welcoming Paul Barnes. 